Amen. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Well, as we've been going through the church, series on the church, um, one of my books that I just love to go through is, is James. It's probably the book I've read the most in my Christian walk. I know when I first got saved, I um, got a, a, it was back when they had cassettes. Most of you know what cassettes are. And uh, it was uh, a series from Stuart Briscoe, and it was called Faith With Your Boots On. And for me, it was very important because when I came to Christ, one of the things that kept me from Christ, or really from recognizing the importance of the body of the church, was that I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church. And I think we can all see that if we look at the church. And we, I, I just saw a lot of things that were going there and, and people that were calling themselves Christians, but they were just living a life that was mirroring my life. And I thought I was a Christian. I was raised in a church where we would learn a, uh, to uh, con go through confirmation. We would memorize the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And we went through some of those things, but it was never really preached the life that Christ has called us to live. It was never really preached to me the difference that, that God makes in a believer's life. And when I came and heard that series, Faith With Your Boots On by Stuart Briscoe, it just made sense to me. It just opened my eyes and it was just like, this is it. And I've read all the controversy about James. There were those that sort of tried to dispute James, saying that uh, it was a book of works and uh, not of faith. And we know and we understand we are saved through faith, not of works. Um, lest we could boast. But James doesn't say that. I think if you read James in its full context, you see that he is talking about the difference that Christ makes. He comes into us and he, he makes a change. And when we look for purpose in our life, and when we look for purpose in our Christian life, most times the question is, what is it that God wants me to be doing? And that's what we are going to be going through um, the next several weeks. Uh, today we're going to be going through the, the first four verses of James in chapter 1. I also want to mention uh, Wednesday nights we're going to be getting into um, 1 Corinthians. If you want to prepare for that, we have went through our truth project, uh, but we're going to be starting a study in 1 Corinthians. But uh, today we're going to look at James 1, 1 through 4. And this is what it says. James a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now as we look into James, we're going to see many things. There are several uh, men in the Bible that are named James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And um, we know that uh, they would call him James the Just, was one of the uh, historical titles of him. He was the half-brother of Jesus, as is mentioned in uh, Matthew chapter 13. He was also the full brother of Jude, from the book of Jude, if you want to read in Jude 1. 
uh, which there is only one. And he also led the church in Jerusalem, and we can read that in Acts. So this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, though James never claims that title. And that's an important thing that we are going to talk about. Uh, James, we know, had a resurrection appearance by Jesus, and we really believe that this is where his transformation came. So we look at Paul on the Damascus Road, had that encounter with Jesus. Uh, this is really the time, I think, that James, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, had his encounter uh, with Jesus realizing who he was because we understand that the brothers um, and the family of Jesus apart from probably Mary and Joseph really never accepted Jesus for, for who he was claiming to be. But we know that again that uh, James had this appearance of Jesus and uh, was most likely the cause of, of his uh, conversion, And we know that at this point of conversion that James became very passionate about his belief in Christ, his walk in Christ, and uh, just his way of life. Um, the early church history, if you read uh, different books like Josephus and just some of the early books of church history, and I just heard another message on this uh, this last week, it says that James was um, such a man of prayer that he had calluses on his knees, and they said that they resembled those of a camel. So if you can imagine that, we sometimes think that we are people of prayer, but uh, church history says that James was this man of prayer who spent a lot of time on his knees praying for those. History also tells us that he was pushed from a high point of the temple in an attempt to kill him. And the fall did not kill him. So he fell off the high point of the temple, fell down, he was still alive, and people went down there and began to beat him as he was praying for them. You talk about a transformed life. You talk about a, a life of, of loving your neighbor or loving those that, that despise you and, and purposefully use you. It gives us this inspiration of the type of man that James was once Christ entered into his life. To pray for those that would abuse you, try to kill you, that wanted nothing to do with you. And so we see that in James. And we can learn from this ourselves. We can ask ourselves, are we the type of person that will pray for those that are trying to bring us down, that are going to pray for those that tell lies about us, that are going to pray for those that, that just try to uh, get us off the path that God would have us to walk. And so he addresses himself this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that he was a half-brother of Jesus, he could have probably used that title and uh, sort of elevated himself as I am a, a half-brother of Jesus. But he chose not to do that. He saw something that was more significant, and that was this, that he was a bondservant. And so a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was really saying, I'm more than a brother to Jesus I'm a servant of Jesus. He is my Lord. And a bondservant is an important translation as there's a word doulos is what it's called. And it means that one that has a permanent relationship with someone. It's, it's the word slave that we use. We don't like to use that word. And I'll tell you, the Greeks didn't really care for that either because amongst the Greeks, um, there was a strong sense of personal freedom. Okay? 
We have that as Americans, the strong sense of, of personal freedom. And really the term slave uh, really carried a degrading meaning. So when James is saying this amongst people, he's not elevating himself. He's putting himself really in a lower state. It's a bond server, one who is in a permanent relationship or servitude to another. So as he's opening this book, in his, his, his initial statement, he is saying, basically, I am a slave. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And Lord is another important word. And it has a translation in the Greek of kurios, and it simply meant a master of doulos. So really what James is saying here when he says, I am a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is saying that Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Lord. And those are words that we as Christians sometimes mouth. But I want you to, to really think about those words and put it in the context as, are you really a slave of Jesus? Are you really a servant of God? Because as a servant or a slave, we would do what our master would bid us to do or call us to do. Our job, our, our thing as a slave is to make our master happy. To walk in his ways, to be obedient to his words. So a lot of people could say, well, yeah, Jesus is my Lord or my God. But the question really comes down, and this is sort of the theme through the book, is are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we truly a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Is he truly, really our Lord and God of our life? And he goes on to tell us this to the 12 tribes. So he says... Uh, my brethren, he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. The 12 tribes, um, it's sort of difficult to understand here, but it can mean a, a few different things. It can mean that the Gentiles weren't fully incorporated into the church yet at this point. They were part of the church, but maybe not in significant numbers. Um, it could mean a lot of things. It's not really clear what it means here that Maybe he was talking mostly to the Jewish believers at this point that were converting over to Christ because Jesus had come for Israel first. But the Greeks we know at this point hadn't, the Greek converts hadn't really uh, appeared in any significant numbers. So it may mean that, and I don't want to get too hung up on that. Um, but he's saying to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. 12 tribes uh, is a Jewish figure of speech also at that time, uh, which could mean the Jewish people as a whole. So this message, again, could just be for the Jewish people as a whole. Um, it, really, they hadn't lived in these tribes for centuries at this point. So he's not really talking, we know, individually to the 12 tribes, but it could mean a couple different things. Um, but it says, which are scattered abroad, and there was a statement that said that there is no city, no tribe, whether Greek nor barbarian, in which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. The Jewish... Um, people were viewed to have been like all over the world at that time. So when he's talking about these Jewish people or these Jewish tribes which are scattered abroad, he could be talking just to those. But we know it is to the church. We know he is speaking again, not just to the tribe, but to the church that is established, which again had many Jewish people that were involved in it. And so 
it was written for the body of Christians in a way, and I think as James was looking at this, and probably as some of the apostles were looking at, at things at this point, they were seeing that there was maybe um, a religious function going on where people were claiming to be Christians, but their walk was not matching their talk or their profession. Uh, that's one thing that I believe that James is really strong about addressing here. And again, as we get into Corinthians, we'll see that also in the body of Christ. These things should not be. We're, we're children of God. We are born-again believers. There's a way, there's a standard, there's a, 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 a way that we should be acting and walking and talking in our life. And Martin Luther had a, had a... Uh, a preface to the book of Romans in a quote in there, but it was it was sort of like um, likened to James, I think, because faith was an important thing, and it's an important thing, and that's why I've named this series sort of Faith Works, living a life that that God intended us to live. And as Martin Luther quoted here, it says, "Oh, it is a living thing," and he's speaking of faith here. So we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But Martin Luther says this, Oh, it is a living thing, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things continually. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Now that was Martin Luther, but in a way that sort of mirrors the book of James. James says as Christians many times we make many bold professions. We make, you know, we speak many words about our faith and our belief and our, our uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. But James is going to bring it down to this. Is, is it alive? Is it active in you? What Martin Luther, really his question is, is this faith that is in us is, is sort of activated by the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't need to stop and say, is this something I should do as believers when the Holy Spirit is in us and our faith is active and alive in us good works naturally come they actually just pour out from us our desires are to please God and he says if you don't have these things in your life Martin Luther saying are you really a believer the question is there James will ask that same question and he's going to give us some of those questions that we need to ask ourselves. Is your desire to walk with God, to please God, to do what he has called us to do? Do you enjoy the fellowship together as his body of believers? Do you see opportunities to, to glorify him in maybe assisting somebody else and take that opportunity? God has this plan for us. The book of James echoes the teaching of Jesus over and over and over again in the Gospels. And we can see this. And as a matter of fact, there's 15 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount in James as we go through it. It's a deep book. It's a, it's a rich book. And I, I don't want to rush through it because I think it has a lot to offer us. And so he goes on to this profiting from trials. And this is where we really start. And this is where James starts. Because, you know, 
when we fall into hard times, it's usually the time that we start to drift away from God. When we are going through a struggle and things aren't going the way that we want them to go, that's the time when we usually back away from the church or back away from God. Or we may ask for help or seek for help, but when things are rough, you know, we, we may stop giving, we may stop praying, we may stop going, we may stop doing. And we get back into the worldly elements of things. You know, God has, has a plan again for us that he wants us to have. And this faith that is in us that James is going to talk about is something that is there. And he really tells us that when we are struggling as believers, our desire is to go to him more. It's like a little child that falls off the bike and, and hurts himself. His desire isn't usually to go hide, but it's to run to mom or dad and, and get some comfort and get some help. It's amazing how when we get older, how our desires are sometimes to, to hide those things. We were going through Revelations uh, this morning in our Bible study and one of the things of the unbelieved as they were hiding in the, in the caves and the crevices of the mountains was to fall on me and cover me so the, the righteous can't find me. We want to hide. We want to hide. God says that shouldn't be. When we have a relationship with him, we seek after him. He's our father and he wants us. And so he tells us this, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's a lot of, of meat right in that few verses there. Patience. James is saying trials are inevitable. I dislike the churches that preach, you know, when you're walking with Christ, you're not going to have troubles in your life. You're not, you know, God's going to prosper you financially. He's going to prosper you healthfully. He's going to prosper you this way. And, you know, you're not going to have these troubles in your life. And, and they almost take on that uh, persona of, of uh, Job's friends, that when we have troubles in our life, somebody's looking and saying, oh, you know, what have you done to offend God? James is telling us here that trials are inevitable in our life. There are things in our life, we're going to go through valleys in our life. We're going to come across these crossroads in our life. We're going to have these struggles, be it health, be it financial, be it whatever in our life. Relationships. We're going to have these struggles in our life. He says it's inevitable because he says when and not if. He says, when you have these things, brethren, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Here's the first time he's starting to mention this faith in our life. At the same time, trials, he says, can be an occasion for joy. Not to, that we're happy that we're in the midst of this, these troubles or this health crisis or things, but we can still go to them with joy, not with discouraging submission. Oh, the world's falling apart, chicken little. The sky is falling on my head and, and we run and hide and, and, and get all in a turmoil. I think with this virus that's going around, and again, not that it's not serious, because it, it is serious. I mean, it's affected many people throughout the world. We can look at that. 
But we don't need to run around scared. We don't need to hype up all the, the drama that goes with it. We're to keep our heads. We understand that God is in control. And so we do what we can do to do what we can do, right? And the rest is going to take care of itself. Me worrying about it doesn't change the things, but I can take maybe precautions, as many places we are seeing are doing that. But he says when we come into these trials, when we come into these temptations, when we come into these problems in our life, we don't need to be discouraged or submit to them and wave the white flag. Oh, it's just so overwhelming. No. He tells us something different. He tells us that there's something that we can do. And he says what? Count it all joy, right? We can count it all joy in the midst of trial because we know that it's there for a purpose. We know that whenever we are in a, a, a place of trial or temptation, that God is at work in our life and he's producing something. And it tells us right here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So it says we face our trials, we face our temptations, we face these things that are going on in our life that are serious and that are distressing in our life, but we face them in faith, looking towards God, not looking towards our circumstances. That means we get our eyes off the horizontal and get it on the vertical. That means we don't look around here and there and say, oh, the world is falling apart. But we look to God and say, God, it is in your hands. You are sovereign. You are just. You are righteous. And I'm placing my trust in you. We count it all joy because we can go to God in faith, knowing that as he is at work, it's going to produce, what does it say? Patience in our life. Faith produces patience in our life. Some people say, oh, don't ever pray for patience because then God's going to give you trials to go through. That's backwards. Our faith is what produces patience as we go through things in our life. The word translated trials means this. It means afflictions. It signifies persecution. It's a trial of any kind that we go through. And there are so many that we could look at in our lives. Again, the, the big ones that we can sort of clump together sometimes are financial. Sometimes we struggle financially. And we just, it can become overwhelming. You know, we've seen this uh, stock market go up and down pretty dramatically over the last few weeks. Well, people that are close to retirement or maybe people that are invested in the market, oh, they get all worried. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? There's nothing you can do. I can't make the stock market go up or down. I just trust in God. He's going to take care. It's all His anyways. See, when we begin to get the right mindset in our life that, that I have nothing, that it's all His anyways, then we find that joy. And we see that our faith grows. We give it to Him. We say, Lord, it's all yours. It's in your hands. And so, when we go through these things, they can be all sorts of things, health-wise. Health you know, we can do what we can do. But we go to God in faith, trusting in Him, and that gives us a joy, knowing that He is in control of these things. And it says, when you fall into, it isn't just something that um, is gradually coming. 
It's not just talking about bad lifestyle choices that we make in our life that lead up to something. But this word fall into is, is something that uh, is plunged into. It's like you're walking and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Those are the trials and the temptations. God tells us enough about things in our life about making bad choices that may lead to things, right? So if I eat uh, sugar-coated uh, cupcakes for every meal every day and then I complain because I'm overweight and my heart's overworking, that's not a, a trial. That's, that's a bad lifestyle choice, right? If I spend all my money at the casinos and don't have enough to pay rent, that's, that's not a trial. That's a bad lifestyle choice. He's talking about these things that come into our life that are unexpected, that cause afflictions into our life. And when we fall into those things, our first place we need to look is to look up to God. Say, God, what is it that you have? Patience is this word, I think I got this right, is, is hupamon. And uh, it's really uh, described as a uh, a thing of active endurance and so it's really made up of two words one is hupo uh, which means under and mino is the other word it means to abide to or remain so it means when you're in something when you're in a trial what's the first thing we want to do we want to get out of that trial right if I'm sick I want to be healed if I'm you know broke I want to have money if I'm you know if this is going bad at work I want to make it better but this talks again, when we talk about faith, and here he's saying, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Have you ever just thought that sometimes God wants us to walk through that portion? That sometimes you just need to endure the storm, right? Sometimes you just need to, to wait it out. We've seen these storms that have gone through, especially the, the southeast and the, some of the east, they just hunker down and they just wait the storm out. As we keep our faith and we keep our eyes towards God, when we're in these situations, when we're in a crisis in our life, we keep our eyes on the Lord. We're praying and we're seeking. We're obeying. We're following what it is that he has for us. And we just sort of hunker down and we just wait for the storm to pass, knowing that God is producing something in it. Do you believe that God is at work when you are in the midst of a crisis? Because we could be like David who cries out, God, where are you? Where are you, Lord? I need you. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm destitute. I'm, I'm in the bottom. But by faith, we understand that God is at work. You know, it's like the, the footsteps in the sand. If you've ever read that, that poem, well, Lord, there's only one set of footprints. Where were you? And he sort of says, those are the times that I carried you. See, Jesus promises the believer, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. So we never need to question when we're going through a difficult time, as lonely or as dark as it may seem, we never need to doubt that God is not with us because he is. And so this patience that we're waiting for, sometimes we just need to wait it out. We just need to see it through. We need to see what it is that God is doing. And so we have this thing of being under a trial by choice. We choose to, to see it through. I think I've shared in the past, our choir used to sing a song in the prison. And uh, 
it was talking about this mountain that we face. And it wasn't, Lord, not move this mountain, but give me the strength to climb. Many times we sit back and we pray, God, God, take this mountain out of my way. Take this roadblock out of my way. Take this hurdle out of my way. So I can just walk easily. When maybe we need to be asking God, God, give me the strength to climb. God, give me the wisdom to deal with this. God, give me the endurance to see it through. Lord, give me the words to say. Because that's the work that he wants to do in our life. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Faith is tested through trials. Our faith is tested through, through trials, but it is not produced by trials. Sometimes people will say, well, when you're in trials, your faith is going to grow. No, our faith is tested. Patience, it says in the Word of God, is produced by the faith that we have in the trials that we go through. Spurgeon said this, Faith is vital to salvation, as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace, faith. Where does Satan want to attack us? Where does Satan want to hurt us the most? It's in our faith. He wants us to cast doubt, does he not? What, is the, what does the atheist say or the non-believer say or... You know, I even heard a story this morning where somebody said that, somebody's telling them, oh, the church is trying to, to uh, brainwash you. They're trying to take away our faith. Oh, surely you can't say that this is true. I got into a dialogue with a, a gentleman this week talking about every extraordinary claim needs an extraordinary answer. And I said, that's not true. That's simply not true. Because there is not, sometimes, there can be extraordinary claims. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, what would be the extraordinary evidence of that, if you really think about it? Extraordinary evidence would be, well, guess what? We got a, a, a film of Jesus coming out of, you know, ascending and moving the stone or whatever. That would be extraordinary evidence. But back in that time, they didn't have movies, did they? They didn't have films. But we have eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, one of which was from James. See, we walk in faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. We believe what God's word tells us and signifies to us. And it says faith is this vital salvation, is as vital to salvation as anything else. So Satan wants to throw that and discredit that faith in your life. He wants to take away that faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. He wants to attack your belief in God. You, you really believe God's going to forgive you for that? Do you really think that, that, that God is with you? Do you think he's really going to heal you? Do you really think he hears your prayers? And Satan utters these words time and time again at us. But it's our faith. And what does it say in Romans 10.17? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Do you think it's important that you're in the Word of God? Do you think it's important that you're reading Scripture? 
Do you think it's important that you're praying? And this is what James is addressing. We make these, these claims. Oh, I love Jesus. We sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Do we love him enough to read his word? Do we love him enough to, to have a devotion in time with him? Do we love him enough to really pray to him? Do we love him enough to follow where he leads? And James puts this all into action. He says, you know, if you have this faith, if you are making this claim, if you are truly saved in your life, your desire is going to be to follow Christ. Are you doing that in your life? We need to walk in that which God has called us to walk in. Trials do not produce faith. Don't think, well, if I'm in a trial and it's going to produce faith, it's not. But when trials are received by faith, it produces patience in our life. And we can find that great time. You know, patience isn't something that we have much in this world anymore, right? People begin to date, they fall in love. They don't have patience to wait for the wedding night, right? We get hungry. We have a little tickle in our stomach. We don't have patience to wait for dinner time. Right? We don't have patience for, for many things. We're in a trial or a struggle. As a body of believers, we don't have patience to see what God is doing. Right? We want it dealt with now. Or we're on our way. We're always looking for the way out. But to choose to stay under that trial to see what God is doing in faith brings us joy and it produces a patience in our life that's why James exhorted us to count it all joy counting it all joy is faith's response our faith's response to a time of trial by the way which God has given you to face those trials Faith isn't something that we generate up ourselves. Faith is a gift of God. And when we exercise it and when we use it, God is going to increase that in our life. Sometimes people think that James is teaching us that we should enjoy the trials that we go through. It doesn't say that at all. He didn't say that we must feel it all joy. Ooh, I'm so happy I'm sick today. That's not what James is saying. He doesn't tell us that trials are all joy. Because we know that they're not. Trials can be very difficult. They can be very hard. They can be very taxing. They can be very draining. But that's where our faith comes in because we turn it to Christ. And he fills us and he gives us the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And James says, count it all joy. Spurgeon had another quote. And I found a lot of, of Spurgeon through, he's just one that I like, but I had a lot of this through James. It says, the natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, but to bring sin. 
I want you to think about that. If you're in a time of trial, or if you're going to enter a time of trial, or if you've been in a time of trial, you can look back. I like this, what he says. The natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, not to set ourselves apart, not to glorify God, not to seek after what he has, but it's to bring sin. A man is very apt to become unbelieving after affliction. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen that have gone through a, a, a tragedy in their life. In their tragedies. I'm not minimizing them. And they've walked away from their faith. Or they've turned their back on God because they feel somehow God has, has let them down. Why would a loving God allow me to go through this? Why would a loving God allow this to happen? He says, a man is very apt to become unbelieving after affliction. That is a sin. He is apt to murmur against God under it. That is a sin. He is apt to put forth his hand to some ill way of escaping from his difficulty. And that would be sin. Hence, we are taught to pray, lead us not into temptation. Because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. And if we were not neutralized by abundance grace, it would bear us towards sin. So what he is saying is when we go through these struggles, our tendency is to find the cheap way out. Not to depend on God. You ever given God advice? You ever try to tell him how to handle the situation that you're in? I have. Lord, why? Lord, just do this. Lord, fix this thing. All you need to do is... You know how funny that, that sounds when I'm saying that? To myself, it's like, who am I? It's not that we don't bring these things to God. God, I don't understand. But as Jesus would say, not my will, but thy will be done. Can you in your heart end every prayer, every request, every discussion with God? After you've poured out your heart, let him know everything that is there. Can you pour out and say at the very end, Father, but not my will, but your will be done. And then follow him. That's the challenge. That's the faith that we bring to God. And that's where our patience becomes perfect. What does it say here? It says, but by, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When our trust is fully in Him and we are walking in the salvation that He has brought us to, led us to, and provided us with, we are perfect, lacking nothing. He's really telling us, get these things out of the way. In any trial you go through, there's going to be a temptation. There's going to be a, a, a thought of an easy way out and not using God. We need to keep our eyes focused upon Him. Last one from Spurgeon. Yet trials can prove a wonderful work of God in us. I have looked back at times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then. To feel the power of faith as I have felt it then. To hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then. And to see God at work 
as I saw him then. See, when we go through a trial, that's a deep quote. When we go through a trial and we count it all joy and we enter that trial in faith and we let faith have its perfect work and we come through it because we have casted ourselves upon him and said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. What is he saying here? He says, I look back and guess what? I see the wonderful work that you have done. I sort of long for that, that, that time, not, not of the pain or the suffering or the, the anxiety that was there, not to have that come back, but the strength of God as I felt it then, as I was going through that time and I felt your hand come under me and lift me up. When I didn't think I could take another breath and you gave me breath. When I didn't think I could face another day but I felt your present brighten the day that I was in. I longed for that. To feel the strength of God as I had felt it then. I was so weak, God, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. But I felt your mighty hand come under me. And lift me and strengthen me. To feel the power of faith as I had felt it then. You know, there's something about victory when you have that confidence and when we go to God by faith, we're saying, Lord, I'm pressing my, putting my confidence in you. And to have that faith just well up inside and say, Lord, I'm helpless. I'm going down for the third time. My faith, it's all in your hands. To feel that power of faith as I felt it then. And to feel that powerful arm of God. He says, I look back and he says, I just feel your spirit in me, your strength in me, as I saw it then. It says this, can, as he starts out, yet trials can prove a wonderful work of God in us. You know, he doesn't do these things in us because he doesn't know our faith. He does it to show us our faith. In those that are looking to us, our faith. That he may be glorified through these things. That's what God's desire is. And so as we go through these things, I want you to take with you, are you a bondservant of God? Are you really a bondservant, a servant of his? Sold under him, to him with this permanent relationship. And are you bringing these things as you go through them to God in faith? Are you bringing your, your problems, going to him in faith and in joy, saying, you know, God, I know that you're in control of it, and letting him do that, and choosing to, to remain there. Now, choosing to remain there isn't against God's will type thing. If God wants to bring you out, he's going to bring you out. But choosing to, to stay there. One thing about Jonah that I found interesting is, is when he was inside, it doesn't really say that he was beaten on the, on the stomach of the whale to get out, right? He just was sort of there for the ride. And it was God's time he got puked up on shore. He was brought through it. God desires us to know this strength, this power that he has. This rest and this peace. Be anxious for nothing but in everything give thanks. 
Maybe you're dealing with anxiety. Maybe you're in a trial. Maybe you got all these things going on in your life right now. When I go through those things and get caught up in the things of this world, I just need to get back to God's word, to his devotion, to prayer. Sometimes we just get our, our focus off of where it needs to be. Are you living out that which you believe in? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, you have given us all things that we need. All things that we need in this world. Father, sometimes we are just rebellious children. We walk our own way. We have our own ideas. We just like to see it done the way that we think it should be. But Father, to really have peace in our life and rest in our life, we need to follow you. You know, your word gives us many things that encourage us in our walk. Tells us how we should treat one another. Tells us how we should view the local body of believers, your church. It tells us habits that we should have in our lives, such as prayer and studying the scriptures. But Lord, if we don't have your Holy Spirit in us, none of that really makes sense to us. To the outside world, it just seems as foolishness. We need your salvation. And Lord, if there are those that are not saved, Lord, we pray for them, that they would know that, that they would feel your call on their life. And Lord, we ask you to put your call on their life. We want them to cast off that foolish thoughts of what God's word is. There was a saying that I saw many, many years ago where someone was wearing a, a billboard on himself. It said, I am a fool for Christ's sake. Whose fool are you? Lord, we need to think about that. We need to think about that. So Lord, as we continue through James, Lord, may we see the faith that we are to have, the faith you desire us to have, knowing that we cannot produce that ourselves, but that is a gift from you, but as we exercise it, that I believe it grows, and that you grow it within us. So Lord, work in each of our lives, growing us and drawing us closer to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.